This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chat. Oil 10 says, Reed, it'll be interesting to see if other lightly used NHL players sign with the KHL or just Oilers players. The Oilers' depth at question, and it's taking a hit. That is from Oil 10 on the text line to 630-630. Luke says, having Marchand on the Oilers would be like having the new Ken Linsman. Let's get him, LOL. Luke adding an LOL. All right. Another texter says, Brandon Davidson, come back. I think he's a good fit. He's a good team guy and is improving year by year. You can always text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. My name is Reed Wilkins. Lightning and Bruins, 2-2 after 2. Story here, Brad Marchand licking Ryan Callahan. Bruce Arthur from the Toronto Star has tweeted... The head was the primary point of contact, suspension coming. That's a good one. Terry Jones from the Edmonton Sun. I am not going to watch a hockey game where the storyline is a player who keeps licking other players. What else is on? Well, if Terry's probably got 200 channels. I'm sure he could, could find something else. And you can see the frustration showing... As Mark Hardy just wanted to get it, Phil Bork. And they those two linemen, uh, linesmen around. Those two have been going at each other since the opening faceoff in Game One of the series. Bork oh, and Hardy. Hardy, oh. Hardy's back for more. The linesmen are just going to let him go. Hardy's right hand was loose. This has been brewing and brewing and brewing inside Mark Hardy since the first game. The penalty was upcoming to Cullen. What it's going to be now, I don't know. Marty's helmet off. Boy, he's gotten a couple of shots, and he's ridden down. Oh, Bart with a big finish. Big right. Oh, that was fun. April 8th, 1989. Yes. Phil Bork. Who's on the line now of the Pittsburgh Penguins taking on Mark Hardy from the New York Rangers. Phil, I wanted to get that in there, buddy. It was even for a while, and then you finished it off at the end. Thanks for playing the only fight I ever won in my whole NHL career. <laughs> that was actually my arch nemesis, Mark Hardy. And uh, I left the Penguins after the second cup in 92. I went to play for the New York Rangers, and Mark Hardy became uh, not only my teammate, but one of my, uh, my better friends. Uh, in my short time in New York, uh, I really enjoyed Mark Hardy. His nickname was Harpo, uh, but for some reason we had a uh, 
nice healthy hatred for each other. So that was uh, that was actually from a playoff game. You guys swept that series in '89 and then lost in the second round to the to the Flyers. Uh, and that was one of those. It was kind of a scrum. He was trying to get at you, and then you you heard the play by play there. Finally, they they just let you fight. So was it just a series of battles in the corners, and it just escalated, or did you guys have something uh, you know personal at that point, or, or what what no, finally? Yeah, it was personal. We had fought a couple times before. There was a time in Pittsburgh where I told him he jumped me and started sucker punching me. He got the better of me, so I I felt I needed to redeem myself a little bit. The only thing I remember about that, and you can kind of hear it in the background when you were playing that clip, is you can hear the fans at Madison Square Garden chanting, Hardy, Hardy, Hardy. And I remember when I was scrapping with him, I could hear that, and it's not just a switch went off, and that's when I caught him. Uh, you. I don't know if you've ever punched somebody clean, but I caught him with a good one. And when you catch somebody clean, it's like a clean hockey hit. You don't really feel it. And I dropped him like a sack of potatoes. I never let him forget about it every time I see him. That's great. So the, the crowd trying to spur Hardy on actually helped you finish off that fight. That's a good Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Phil Bork joining us on the line, radio analyst for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We always have Phil on a few times throughout the season. And uh, obviously you've, you've been covering the uh, the Stanley Cup champions the last two years. So we've been talking to you well into June. But Phil, I got to ask you about the story tonight. Uh, you know, I, I watched you play. You were, uh, you were a pretty honest hockey player as, as as you just as we just played, you could stand up for your teammates and yourself when you had to. And uh, I'm going to ask you maybe the most bizarre question I'll ever ask you: What do you think of this Marchand licking guys? Because he did it again tonight with Callahan. He did it again. He did it again. He licked Callahan about yeah. half an hour ago. Yeah, I I, I think it's crossing the line. I do. Uh, not only just out of just principle, but just from a health issue. I just think it's wrong. I think the league needs to come down on that. Um, and I think at this point of the playoffs, certainly not a suspendable offense, but I think it should be a fine. It should be a warning. It should be a phone call. I just think it's enough. I mean, this is, it's kind of ridiculous. I, I understand who Brad Marchand is, and there's a side of you that respects him because he's a really good hockey player. There's another side of you that thinks he's an absolute jackass, uh, and at more times he can hurt his team than help his team. And this whole licking thing, I think it's gone far enough. Listen, this is the National Hockey League. It's the greatest league in the world. And to have one guy, one guy maybe in the history of our game, decides he wants to lick somebody because he's getting under the skin of the opposition, I think the league needs to step in uh, because we are the greatest league in the world and, and just say enough is enough of this. I mean, I know it's the playoffs, and he's one of the best offensive players on the team, but you've you've been in dressing rooms. You've had a variety of teammates does a teammate need to say something, or would that be awkward since he's such a good player? Yeah, I think at this point it'd probably be awkward. Yeah. Um, I don't know who that would be. I mean, obviously it would probably be Zidane Chara, you know, Mr. Sirius himself, or uh, Patrice Bergeron. I think those are the only two guys that that maybe uh, Brad Marchand would listen to at this point. Uh, but I, I don't think it needs to even be that far. Or your head coach. I mean, Think about it. If you were coaching that guy, would you not just pull him in and just say, "Hey, man, just play the game." Like, like I understand what you're doing. I love, I love you as a player. I love when you're stirring the pot and, and you're you're getting other teams skin. But enough with this licking thing. Let's just play some hockey and do what you do best. Yeah, it's such. I, I was joking in the last half hour. Like, we, does, do we need a do we need a stat for uh, kisses attempted by Brad Marchant? Like, it's just weird. We're we're even uh, we're even well, talking it's, about it. As far as 
the weird thing, I think visually, uh, when you play it in the replays uh, on, on the highlights, I, I think it's so awkward. And, and, the, and the biggest thing for me, is, it's, a, it's a health issue. You can't be sticking your tongue out and licking people in the face. It's just, uh, it's just flat out wrong. You broke into the NHL with a few games in the 83-84 season, Phil. Obviously, uh, you were a cup winner with the Penguins. You played until uh, uh, the, you were with the Senators in 95-96, so about 13 seasons in, in the NHL. Uh, who was a prime agitator that you would have played against or with? Uh, well, Kenny Lindsman was the rat. Right. Everybody <laughs> remembers him. That, uh, he's a player that you wanted to absolutely rip his head off. Another guy that I had some pretty good battles with was Keith, Keith Acton, uh, and uh, he was kind of cut out of the same cloth as a Kenny Lindsman. Those were two guys. You know, the heavyweights were the heavyweights, and most of the heavyweights, they fought each other, and they didn't really mess around with, with somebody like me. You know, they, they give me the verbal warning before they decide to play Bam Bam on my head. Uh, but it's usually the, the smaller guys, that were the more of the agitators to get under your skin uh, than the, the big burly guys. Phil Bork, Penguins radio analyst, joining us at Inside Sports tonight. Okay, I've got to ask you about the series that you're covering. Uh, it's been another good one between these two teams. It's tied 2-2 after four games, game five tomorrow in Washington. We know the story. We know the historical uh, domination of the Penguins over the Capitals, even if the series is, uh, each individual series is often close. The Penguins often come out into the end. How does this one feel and look to you compared to series in the past, Phil? Oh, you're right. The Penguins have won nine out of ten series all time against the Caps. And every Stanley Cup that the Penguins have won, all five of them have come through Washington. It feels, it feels similar. Uh, I just remember every series. I played in two. I broadcast uh, uh, three of them. And now uh, this is uh, the fourth one I broadcast. Uh, and uh, they feel the same. Uh, the Caps have always had really good regular season teams. Uh, they seem to be able to get through the first round and then they stumble in the second round. Uh, they've always had talented players, uh, elite players that can put the puck in the net, but you just kind of get that feeling, and I kind of I bite my tongue a little bit here because I don't want to sound like a homer. I don't want to sound like I have the black and gold pom-poms out, but there seems to be something a little amiss, something a little bit awkward, something just not right with the Washington Capitals, and uh, uh, I think it's safe to say for both teams to probably say the same thing, that tomorrow night, Game 5, is going to be the biggest game of the, of the season for both these clubs. Uh, and for the Penguins who have played well on the road in the postseason, uh, especially in Washington, they've had success. They've won uh, you know, two games in this building. They, they feel comfortable being on the road. And, um, boy, it's, it's a bit of a coin toss. You could, you could get a pencil and paper out and make a list of all the good and all the bad of each team, and you probably have an equal amount of each on both sides. All right, one more for you, Phil. I hope this doesn't sound like a bit of a weird question because two of the greatest players in the game are on the Penguins, but there are a couple of other guys with some pretty eye-popping stats this postseason, and you never go anywhere without a good goalie. Who, who's Who's been the most important player? Oh, wow, I hope you're okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's who's been the most important player on the Penguins in the playoffs so far? Jake Gensel. Yeah. Jake Gensel was unbelievable last year. He's you know, 13 goals last year, first time he's appeared in the postseason, uh, and he just carries it over. He's just a big game player. The higher the stakes, the more chips in the middle of the table, the better he plays. Uh, and he, he, if you ever watch any of the highlights or, or listen to him when he's mic'd up, he's having a blast out there. You know, he's pretty reserved. 
when you talk to him one-on-one or you even get a microphone in front of him, he's even more reserved. But you get him in those moments on the ice in big game situations, it's unbelievable how comfortable he is and, and how much he's able to take his game to another level. Just when you think you've seen the best from Jake Gensel, he shows you something else. And we're so lucky here. He's a third-round pick that's really fit in incredibly well with Sidney Crosby and with really some other Penguins struggling as far as Bill Kessel, Derek Broussard. Um, you know, there's, there's other Penguin players that have been struggling offensively. Thank God. That's all I can say. Thank God that we have a player like Jake Gensel because it's been a lifesaver for the Penguins. All right, Phil, I appreciate you checking in tonight. It uh, sounds like uh, there's some activity there wherever you are, so I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to that. Appreciate it, buddy. Great stuff. All right, I'm in Georgetown having dinner just outside the D.C., and uh, I'll have a cold one for you. Right on. That is Phil Bork checking in tonight, uh, radio analyst for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, definitely some strong comments on the antics of Brad Marchand, and yeah, Jake Gensel having an incredible playoff for the Pittsburgh Penguins. What were we talking about? Drafting well, bringing guys along, third-round pick. Uh, and Phil Bork calls Gensel the most important player on the Penguins so far this postseason, a team that has Crosby and Malkin and uh, Murray and Nett, and uh, he identifies Gensel as their top player so far. It is 7-18. It is still 2-2 between Tampa Bay and Boston, six minutes into the third period. This is Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Oh, good one, Kellen Kennedy. We'll wait, we'll wait till the chorus here. Brad Marchand's theme song, or at least it should be. Here The kiss was uh, kiss was out of the makeup for this one, right? Yeah, this was late '80s. So '88, '89. Was it that late? Really? I think so. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, by the way, Brad Marchand though, in on another goal here. Bergeron gets his second of the game, shorthanded at 6.36 of the third. They scored just after we went to break, so now 3-2 Boston leading Tampa Bay, 12.45 left in the third period. This was all Tampa Bay early on. They went up 2-0. Boston has been able to fight back. Now they have the lead. Blue Jays in Tampa Bay, trailing 4-2. This one is in the eighth. And the Western Hockey League Championship Series is underway as well. And I'm just going to make sure I got the uh, refreshed score here. Everett in Swift Current. And uh, about eight minutes into the first period there, no score yet. And also, in Spruce Grove, Game 5 of the Doyle Cup between the Saints and the Wenatchee Wild. The Wild up three games to one in the series. And uh, early on, no score in, uh, well, about eight minutes into the game. No score between the Saints and the Wild. Spruce Grove must win to stay alive. The Wild lead the series three games to one. Great to have Phil Bork on the show. Probably the loudest car horn ever heard on Inside Sports. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate him taking some time out of his evening to, uh, to call into Inside Sports to chat about Marchand and uh, agitating players. Who did he say two of the best agitators were? 
Ken Linsman wasn't surprised. He also said Keith Acton, mm-hmm. who, don't forget, spent one year as an Oilers assistant coach under uh, Dallas Aikens. Correct. Uh, by the way, yes. uh, lick it up. July, August 1983 was released September 18th, 1983. So the I screwed up on the time. 1983. You just had the wrong half of the 80s. So yeah. That's okay. It was the first album that they had no makeup on. Oh, last that was album the first. was Creatures of the Night, which was the year prior in 82. This was the first one without. So. so there's the one where they revealed their true selves to the world. That's right. By writing songs that really captured the human condition. Heaven's like, on fire. Like, lick, lick it, it up. up. <laughs> I mean, is there is there any is there uh, any other song that? I mean, really, you, you got. I mean, they're poets. Let's be honest, they're poets. Just from they're, this, uh, j- just from this album alone, <laughs> "Young and Wasted," "Give Me More," yeah, "A Million to One." Are, they, are those all the song titles? Uh, from one to five on side A. Exeter, not for the innocent. What Exeter? How, Exeter. How do you spell that? E X C I T E R. Oh, that's Exciter. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's Whoops. more of a Kiss song than Exeter. <laughs> Exciter would be definitely a Kiss yeah. song. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Uh, not for the in- not for the innocent. Lick it up, young and wasted. <laughs> Give me more. That's side A. Side B. <laughs> That's like a story. <laughs> all, yeah. all hell's breaking loose. Yeah. A million to one. Yeah. Fits like a glove. <laughs> Dance. Oh, I'm not sure if I can see. <laughs> Dance all over your blank. And oh. uh, <laughs> and on the eighth day. <laughs> well, now, I'm worried, now there's a few possibilities. Maybe I just got a twisted mind. To me, there's a few possibilities that could go in the blank. Uh, well, we'll look that up later. Yeah. So there, there you have it. Like, really, you look at some of the great works of art in history. Uh, you got stuff, uh, all the plays Shakespeare wrote. You know Hemingway, and then really probably Kiss lyrics would be third after those other two. Oh, definitely top five. Yeah. Would, would you know? Would Would you like to visit the Sistine Chapel, or would you like to vi- listen to "Lick It Up" by Kiss? I I think most people are going with "Lick It Up." for pure artistic uh, quality and content. <laughs> oh, again, that chorus. Lick it up. Lick it up. Lick it up. Lick it up. Whoa, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I love 80s rock, which is why I also laugh at it, because I love it so much. That, that was something. Uh, okay. So you can text 630-630-780-496-0063. Uh, we got Curtis Stock coming in studio, longtime Edmonton Journal sports writer, now just a guy who likes making predictions and talking about sports. So that's what we're going to do with him when we get back. Don't forget, some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down South Comfort Food to Edmonton with Southern Classics and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at NorthChickenYEG.com. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. I appreciate 
those of you texting in with your own experience with Kiss lyrics, maybe that's a topic we can get into more uh, in-depth some other night. I, I'm pleased to say that my next guest decided not to wear his Kiss makeup this evening <laughs> and his platform boots like Gene Simmons used to wear. It's uh, Curtis Stock. Curtis, thanks for checking in. Thanks, Reed. Here, you? Come in a little closer to the mic there, sir, because right. everybody can hear you. Uh, yeah, thanks for checking in tonight. We, we, uh, I mean, you and I have kind of known each other for a few years, and then last year I said, look, man, just come in and... I have no idea what we're going to talk about. And then I kind of did the same thing a couple of days ago. And you was like, you were like, all right, I'll just come in. And then you tweeted out, I'm, I'm going to pick the Canadian, or the Kentucky Derby winner. So I was like, this is great. So then I tweeted out, Curtis Stock coming in to predict all future sporting events, starting with the Kentucky Derby. That's right. Maybe yeah, a little too much pressure. Yeah, every every to single the end one. Of the world, right. Well, I brought it up, and you didn't even remember it, but I brought it up last year when you were in that you. Before the playoffs in 91 and 92, you picked the Penguins both years at the start of the playoffs. You were kind of a slightly above average team, but not a great team both years, and you were right. So you should be riding that forever. Yeah, right. <laughs> if I, uh, and as we say that, Tampa Bay just tied it. So a 3 3 7 4 left in the third period. I was just telling you about the Marchand licking. Yeah. You've covered. I mean, not, you've covered a lot of horse racing. They don't even do that. Or, <laughs> No, well, they, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, I think it's just ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, when you're, you had Phil Bork on there, I mean, uh, the coach has got to say something. You know, not another player. Just the coach has cut it out. This is stupid. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully somebody does something, or the league takes something out of his wallet. Maybe, maybe that would, yeah. maybe that would uh, have him notice some for sure. What are you up to these days, man? How are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, trying to play a little bit of golf now that we're finally at a golf season here, and thoroughbred racing opens tomorrow at Northlands, and so uh, and just doing some freelance for the Journal in the Sun, doing the golf and the horse racing, yeah. and I write once a week or for Horse Racing Alberta on their website. You know. Uh, we uh, we will get to the Kentucky Derby and your pick. I'm not I'm not going to let you off the hook, obviously. And I have some questions about that. But uh, so horse racing Alberta with Northlands. Now that's been an ongoing story. Uh, at times, maybe a head scratcher for for some people who, or maybe for everybody, even p- people who have been involved in it. But it's staying at Northlands all through this summer and fall now, despite some earlier plans? Yeah, yeah, like the the thoroughbreds will go to the Canadian Derby, which is at the end of August, and then the harness will now come in on the September and October, and then in this March of next year, they're going to open up that Century Downs, or Century Mile at the airport. Mm-hmm. Can Is that spot going to be... I mean, I guess if people want to go watch, they're going to go watch, but uh, what's your level of belief in that location? I don't know. Um... The casino is going to do really well because there's there's no other casino around that area. Right. And it's a racetrack casino, same as that Northlands. And, right. And that's so that's going to draw well. And they got you know because they got the mall right there now, right? That outlet mall. A Costco is going to go in there, and they got Red Tail Landing Golf Course and the airport. So it's it, it'll be busy, but I don't know how many people are going to go that far. You know, like the horse racing fans from who are used to being. You know, in central in central Edmonton, where you can just take a bus, right? Yeah. So, would I don't you? Know, we're gonna find out. I mean, look, let let let's be fair here, and I want to get because a lot of times I, I think people in the sports media talk about you know the decline in horse racing or betting or attendance. I mean, is that accurate, or is it still for you? There's the hardcores and the, and well, the big events as ever. There, if you look around, like I mean, there's 
Northlands has gone way, way down since in the last 20 years. Right. Um, the last three years have been pretty level, maybe a slight increase. But if you look around, there's tracks in North America that are doing really well, like mm-hmm. Gulfstream, doing really well. Santa Anita, doing really well. So Oakland had a big meet. Um, there's a lot of tracks that are doing really well. So it's not, well, horse racing isn't dead. I mean, there's, there's the smaller tracks are suffering. Um, but Northlands, for the last, I don't know, decade, you know, didn't promote it. Didn't advertise, didn't promote. And now they're paying the price. Yeah, that's well, that's a very good point. You're right. And it, it, to me, it's an interesting sport because when someone goes, nobody ever leaves a, a, a horse racing card, a night of horse racing, and says, well, that sucked. Like, you get drawn into it, yeah. right? You, even if you're a new better, you put your, oh, yeah, it's great. You, you spend your 10 to 20 bucks if you want, have have dinner. You might win something, you might not. If you, if you blew your 20 on the right. 10 races, big deal. Right. But nobody ever says, oh, that was pretty... I mean, once you see a race, and especially see it live, even if you're at a bit of a distance, you get pulled into it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's intoxicating. It really is. I mean, I've been in love with horse racing for a long, long time. I mean, going back to when I was... Uh, I guess about 15 years old, I used to go with a friend of mine, and we knew the guy at the gate, and he used to let us slip under the turnstiles, <laughs> and so we got in for free, and I used to go watch the, the horses in the morning sometimes, because the track was right by the high school in Calgary where I went, uh, St. Mary's, mm-hmm. so it was Victoria Park Racetrack, so I go back a long time with the races. Yeah, that's incredible. I remember you told that story uh, last year about how you, because I didn't know how you first got, got into it, so that that's really cool, and you're still going strong with it. Okay, so... Uh, so tomorrow, what time are they going tomorrow? So they start one at 1 o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah. And how many days of racing are they going to have a week? Is this the three days a week? or what Well, are they they're starting out, they're just running this Saturday. Okay. And then they'll run next Saturday. And then they'll get into their three-day-a-week schedule. Okay, once we get into the yeah, better weather and more of the, yeah. the, su- the summer-type uh, conditions. Though they'll race in pretty much anything. Yeah, the, uh, the harness do for sure. I mean, they race in, you know, when it's 20 below. Right. You know. Um, the thoroughbreds, you know, fortunately, they don't run in the winter here. So Right. Okay. Curtis Stock joining us uh, here at Inside Sports. Okay, so the Kentucky Derby is tomorrow. Uh, I believe it starts around, was it? 450. 450-ish is at, at Edmonton itself, time. Yeah. That's supposed to be the race itself. Okay, i got to ask you this first. And, and this is one of those events that I always try to watch on TV if I'm home or, you know, have time to sit down and watch the coverage. I just don't understand, Curtis. How how do you have a twenty horse field? Like, is there you put a twenty point? horses in the game? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> he got me. Uh, but I, I just couldn't you pick the best twelve? I mean, because it's just so jumbled. And then sometimes I wonder, like, it's so mashed up at the start. Yeah, it is. Can can the does the fastest yeah. horse sometimes just lose because he got such a bad draw? Oh, or absolutely, bumped? or a bad start. So why or... do they go with twenty? That's am I missing? Like, you're the expert. What am I missing? <laughs> I don't know. What am I missing? Here? <laughs> That's <laughs> no, just. The... Yeah, I mean, in, uh, you know, even in Europe, I mean, they have twenty six horses in a race. Jeez. You know, like uh, that. Uh, um, the Epsom Derby and races like that. You know, you're right though. I mean, like it's, uh, but you take the best 20 horses. And this year, I mean, they've got the best 20 horses for sure. This is an unbelievable field that they've got this year. Anybody could win it. Yeah. Really. All right. Well, I, I did a little bit of research. Did you? <laughs> not, not much because I knew I was having you on. Uh, so we got Good Magic, won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile yeah. last year. Last year, yeah. And I think he was the two year old horse of the year or the Eclipse Award. Uh, I'm not sure of that, but and Mendelssohn 
uh, won a Breeders' Cup turf race as well. Yep, and he's coming here from uh, Dubai. Right, that's one of, okay. Mendelssohn. All right, uh, Mendelssohn, sorry. Yeah, he, he won the, uh, he won the uh, UAE Derby by 18 and a half lengths, so... 18 and a half lengths. Yeah, and there was, uh, how many horses were in that field that day? Oh, there was only nine, so. Okay, so, well, he blew them away. Yeah. So it didn't really matter <laughs> no. how many were chasing them. And then, okay, so the let's let's talk about the favorite two. Uh, Justify, this is interesting to me, I think he started at three to one. Yeah. And he, so the, so for people who are novices to the Kentucky Derby, it's, th- it's for three-year-olds. It's for three-year-olds, yeah. He did not race at all as, as a two-year-old. A two, right. How rare or maybe common is that? I, I, I can't remember hearing much about that. Well, uh, um, he's the favorite, as you say, at three to one. And a horse has never won the Kentucky Derby, well, since 1886, Apollo. And 1886 was the last horse <laughs> oh, to, to win the Derby after not running as a two-year-old. There's, it's, you know, and there's two of them in there, you know, like that, uh, you know. Um, but he's neither one of them have... Uh, you know, Magnum Moon is the other one. Right. And neither of those two horses races two-year-olds. And the last one to do it, to win the Derby and not race as a two-year-old, was Apollo in 1886. Was approximately 140 years ago. Yeah, just after we were born, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Halsey covered the race. That's what he probably uh, did, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so why would they not race as two-year-olds? Because don't most horses start racing as two-year-olds? Um... I'd say it's 50-50. I mean, okay. You know, like, I mean, some horses just take longer to mature and develop, and, you know, they're too big for their bodies and or not big enough for their bodies. Um, they have to grow into themselves, and um, okay. they can have shin splints. A lot of two-year-olds get shin splints. So, um, you know, you'd like to see, if you buy a horse, I mean, you'd like to see it run as a two-year-old, but they all don't. The good ones, they... They try to get them to run as two-year-olds, that's for sure, because there's a lot of money to be made as a two-year-old and a three-year-old. That's the two lucrative seasons. So when it comes to Justify, and, and I believe he's only run three races career, three races, but right. he's 3-0. and oh. Yeah. So he must he must have an incredible pedigree, though, for him to jump right in and, to, and be able to get right into the Derby. I, I mean, I assume that this is a horse that people would have had an eye on for a while. Well, not really. I mean, like he, I mean, he won the Santa Anita Derby last time. Before that, though, he just won a, uh, an allowance race and broke his maiden. So, uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's but it's the way he's been winning. But he's so fast. He's he's a freak. He could be a freak, and he could win this Derby again. Like I mean, he's all three races. He's had a buyer speed rating uh, of over a hundred, which is really good. Okay. So the higher the number of of, of the of the buyer, the faster the horses are running. Right, and that's and that's uh, we should explain what that is. It, that is a how could, well, it's it's a stat used to compare horses who may yeah, not race against absolutely. each other. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So one one they could both be four and zero, but one could have a speed rating of one hundred and five, and yeah. one could have a hundred. So people would say, yeah. well, this guy's probably actually better, even though they have the same record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the buyers are an important part to handicapping. All right. Well, Curtis is going to make his pick for the Kentucky Derby. When we get back, okay, it's inside sports on six thirty, Chet. You're listening to six thirty, Chet, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad Everett leading Swift Current 1-0 after the first period game. One of the WHL final. Curtis and I were just talking about 
some of the many Edmonton connections. So we got Manny Vivrios coaching Swift Current. We got Stuart Skinner from Edmonton Oilers draft pick in goal for Swift. We got Carter Hart from Sherwood Park in goal for Everett. Not just goalie of the year, but player of the year in the WHL. Uh, Giorgio Estevan on uh, another Edmonton kid on Swift Current as well. There are others, but those are some of the big names. And of course, Estevan and Skinner were traded from Lethbridge to Swift at the deadline. And then who do they wind up playing in the conference final? Lethbridge, who wasn't really expected to go that far after trading away a couple of their best players. And they still made the conference final. Anyway, the moment we've all been waiting for, (laughs) the moment you've been waiting for, so uh, you can go bet online or find an off-track location. Or the track itself. Or go to the track itself tomorrow. Yeah. The Curtis Stock, (laughs) I'm going to write this down. I'm going to put it in my binder because I might throw out this paper. The Curtis Stock Kentucky Derby pick okay <laughs> is audible audible you know what i was gonna ask you about, uh was he, he's eight to one what is he eight to one in the morning line yeah i mean it's it's we were saying it's it's a fabulous field there's 20 horses they're they're all really good it wouldn't surprise me to see a horse pay 40 or 50 to one and the horse that i like second for the exactor who is 30 to 1 on the morning line is Hofberg. They ran 1 2 last time um, in the, uh, in the uh, Florida Derby. Uh, Audible won by 3, and Hofberg was second, and I think they'll run 1 2 again here. They both uh, come from off the pace horses, and there's going to be a lot of speed in this race. And Justify is not going to get the lead by himself, mm-hmm. um, and I think, they're, I think there's, they'll be coming at the end. All right, what what numbers are they for people if they're just jotting down the numbers and they can't remember the names? Five and nine. Five, so Audible's five, Hofberg is nine. Hofberg you're is going nine. with, so you're going with the five nine exactor for the Kentucky Derby. That's it. Yeah. All right, so four. I mean, it wouldn't seem, you know, I mean, justify like we were saying, he could be a freak. I mean, he could be that good, but he hasn't. He's only had three starts. He's he's you know he's one on the front end. Um, so okay, so is justify one of those guys? He jumps out and just tries to hold everybody off. Well, he did the last time, okay. uh, but he's rated before. He's, he came from off the pace to win an allowance race, but, I mean, he was much the best in there, and it was a cheap field. Okay. So, I mean, he's won the Santa Anita Derby. That's one race, you know, that that he's shown up for. So he's only had three starts. All right. Audible Hofberg, the Curtis Stock, guaranteed to Absolutely be correct. Guaranteed, right? And then, yeah. like that Simpsons episode, the little voice comes in, not a guarantee. Not a guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. If you wanted some advice, or even if you just want to watch and uh, know a little bit more about the house, the horses, we've talked about five or six of them today that might help. So it's uh, around 4.50 Edmonton time. Uh, NBC has it, right? Yeah. I don't know if TSN yeah. or any of those stations are picking it up, but NBC always has it. Yeah, and it starts, at, I think the telecast starts itself around 2.30, I think. Yeah, they do a lot of pre-race. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know what's interesting to me? Eddie Olchuk's always on those, eh? Yeah, he is. Because yeah. he's a big horse guy. Big now, yeah. Does he own two? I don't know I if don't he owns, know. but he, he know, loves... But he, he's one of their analysts. Oh, yeah, he is. Off yeah. from hockey to the horse yeah. track. Yeah. Him and Jerry Bailey, yeah. They, they do the analysis, yeah. Yeah. What I love now, too, is... Um, I mean, television sports have improved so immensely in, yeah. our, in our lifetimes, obviously. And now they have the camera that's right over top of the field. Yeah. It must be a drone or something on a wire that's just... It's on over, a wire, It's yeah. on a wire that's just over top of the field the whole time. And then when they usually show a replay of the race, they'll highlight the horse that wound up winning. 
and a lot of times you can see how he or she it? wove yeah. through yeah. the field. Yeah, the way they weave through, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of times they'll come from the back or the outside and got to yeah. change the pace to go inside. Let me ask you this, Curtis. Your years of experience covering horse racing. A successful horse. What percentage is horse? What percentage is jockey? Uh, 90% is the, the horse at least. At least, really? Yeah. A good jockey can't make a bad horse win. Okay. But a bad jockey can make a good horse lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> Real easy. You just more you have to know what you have and make sure. Yeah. It's yeah, key not get moments, into right? trouble. Like, I mean, if you've got a good horse... And you keep getting him into trouble, like, you know, boxed in or wide or, uh, you know, and the horse won't win. So, you know, a good jockey has to be more than a passenger. He has to make sure, you know, keep the horse, you know, out of trouble. And like I said, like a, you know, a good jockey can't make a bad horse win. Right. All right. Elvis Ortiz, who's riding. Right. Um, and, is, you know, is winning with everything. He's on uh, Hofburg. So I rat Ortiz Jr. He's sensational you think he's one of the best oh he is uh, yeah right now right I, now he's the best oh yeah so what is it composure strategy uh adaptability yeah all those things you know i mean you have to if things don't break right in a race you can't panic right you can't like if a horse breaks last or something you can't rush him up and you know and you just gotta play the race the way it unfolds right all right, uh, we got a few more minutes with you here, Curtis. Uh, you mentioned you're getting uh, you're getting golfing. Yeah. Are you, like, are you, like I I'm horrible. Like that's part <laughs> of the thing. I I am terrible at it. Uh, like, are you I'm actually tomorrow with Patrick LaForge? So I oh, played with him for a while. So. Good. Are you, for money? Dare uh, I ask? I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you hope so. There you go. Give it. Give it. Now we know how good Patrick is. No, how... he's pretty good. He's pretty, he's good. pretty good. But you're you're pretty solid, eh? Uh, well, I used to be. I used to be, but I'm getting older and I'm not anymore, I think. <laughs> uh, length or accuracy costing, you know? Uh, accuracy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I never hit, you know, real long, but but uh, I've been pushing everything out to the right so far this year, so I don't know why. i got no idea. Yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was hooking yesterday, and usually I slice. <laughs> so yesterday, yeah. I, you know, so I always aim a little bit. I, I can aim down the left side, and I'm like, what? Where did you play yesterday? I, I just went down to Riverside. I love oh, going yeah. down. It's close, yeah. close to where I live. Yeah, well, and, I'm a member there in yeah. the, uh, the men's club every Wednesday. The, the highlight of my round yesterday, and I remember you and I talked about this last summer too, number eight is the one of the most devilish holes I've ever played. It's not long. The drive is pretty wide open. And then you walk up to your drive, and usually you're, you're okay unless you really screw it up. And then you're, it's just dead uphill with right. left is you're dead. doomed, long is pretty dead. bad. <laughs> There's a bit of a bailout to the right, but it's Not protected much, by it's a, a bunker. bunker there, yeah. And yesterday, uh, I hit the bunker on my second shot, and I actually got up and down out of the bunker for oh, really? par for the first time in my life. That's a tough hole to par. <laughs> it is. is. A, I a, take par there any day. I don't think that's the second time I've parted, probably in about 30 rounds. Because it's not an easy driving hole, really. I mean, because it is a dog leg. It's a bit of a dog leg, right? It goes around. Oh, yes. I just I just think you for that one, through the fairway there's on a the little bit of room to miss left on the drive, at least. Yeah, but if you miss it... If you go too far, you go through the fairway into the trees. On the well, that's true. Too. Yes. So well, it's luckily, a, it's, it's a tough hole. Luckily, I usually don't hit it that far. Uh, okay, we're in the last minute. Give me, uh, give me. I hate to do this. To give me twenty seconds on what stands out for the playoffs for you so far. Ooh, I don't know. I in my hockey pools, I took uh, Washington players and Winnipeg players on one in one pool, and the other one I tried to load up on Nashville. So I'm still alive in both of them. I'd like to see Washington beat Pittsburgh for obvious reasons. <laughs> I think I took. Out of the 14 guys we picked, I think I got 10 Washington Capitals. So 
I just took anybody named who was playing for Washington <laughs> at the end. Curtis, thanks for coming in. No problem. The Kentucky Derby pick tomorrow, the exactor, Audible Hofberg. That's 5-9 if you're betting at home. That is Curtis Stock. My name is Reed Wilkins. They're going to overtime, Tampa Bay and Boston 3-3. Have a great weekend. we got a CFL preview show with Morley and Dave on Monday. I'll talk to you Tuesday. It's Friday. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.